0: With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a
1: great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession.
0: Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello, welcome back. Happy Tuesday. I am sitting here, kind of my brain is mush already, and we haven't even started the podcast, because... I came over to the studio for us to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. Two hours later, we realized we ought to do a podcast because we were covering so many behind the scenes things that are happening right now. We have a few weeks coming up. I, I, I'm, I'm almost hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. We may have three videos a week coming up in a few weeks. Just <laughs> I'm looking at my
1: watch, you're right, it has been two hours. We're, since- we're trying to oh get through a
0: backlog of videos. So we're rearranging schedule. We're putting new things out. We're putting old things out. We've got some older TV episodes. We decided to put those on YouTube. So that's coming as well. But that's in addition to the fact that we're doing about two fast blasts a week. Mm-hmm. New TV is mm-hmm. being edited, so we were talking about those edits.
1: Shoots are happening.
0: There's there's a lot. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Car Debate, the topic Tuesday today and a car debate coming up as well.
1: Well, speaking of TV, I do want to thank again our TV sponsors for season six. Yeah, yeah. And that is Covercraft Industries, which was what our headline sponsor for the entire season. As well as Griot's Garage, Car Care, and Haggerty, which covers insurance and the driver's club and motorsportreg.com. They've got a ton of stuff happening now, for sure. Quick note about pilgrimage. I'm going to keep talking about it until we end up going. Mm -hmm. And that is on the website. So go to Everyday Driver TV, and you can find all the information about the upcoming 2020 pilgrimage trip, which is being held August 2 through six in Germany and Belgium. We've got it all planned out. We've got people signing up already and we're very excited to go. So please consider it. You are definitely invited. Look at that. And uh, a quick note before we jump into the topic Tuesday, which I thought was pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Sir, Sterling Moss has passed away, age 90. That is in the news currently. But did you know that Sterling Moss was associated with Maserati for 65 years? (laughs) Of
0: course you went there. Starting early in his racing career with
1: the 250 50 okay. f mm-hmm. and it went all the way to his winning the 1956 Monaco Grand Prix in the Maserati 250F, which was almost 275 horsepower, straight six. Very cool car. It was the racing car of that era. Yes. Pretty I mean, cool. I, he was associated mm-hmm. with Mercedes later on, but yes. his association over throughout the years lasted 65 <laughs> years. With Maserati, they were cool at one time. Well, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a crazy idea I had. I haven't even shared this with you yet.
0: This is this is Uh-oh. as raw Uh-oh. as possible. Uh-oh. All right, crazy idea I had. So Maserati is going to release this. What is it? The, 20? the is twenty. The MC twenty. The MC twenty. Their new mid engine. Yay! I, yeah, I wait. I fear how much that's going to cost.
1: Oh, it's going to be unaffordable. I can't afford one.
0: I'm wondering if we could get one for long enough to shoot a re- reprise of Mid-Engine and Mountains and do it with the Maserati. Oh. Because the last time we did oh. it was the Alpha 4C. This is built on the Alpha 4C oh. chassis. I just had this idea That's a great the idea. last 24 hours. See if we can do a reprise of Mid-Engine Mountains in a new location. I've got, a, I've got locations in mind, but I won't share them yet. But do a reprise interesting. and have that car. So it would be an upper level. Now it would be much more of an exotics film. Because of the nature of what the price
1: point it will sure. be, I suspect. I'm already but cashing out my wonder. 401k in my head, and I'm getting about probably you know a tenth of the way. A there. A dollar and a half, yeah, yeah. exactly. But <clears> I do
0: wonder what the price point will be because it's going to be above the 4c. I suspect it's going to be double the 4c. I suspect it's going to be 120 to. I'm sure. It. I'm sure it'll be bit like that much. Yeah, would it be interesting to take? mid engines of that vintage of that price point if you will and, and compare those it gets us away from the everyday driver reality of it but let's have exotics in the mountains I agree and it connects you to Maserati we can see if you like it as much as you claim
1: I think I'm I can't gonna love it, it. And everybody's gonna be like Wow, Maserati's so cool again I can't and, and, how and I'll much remind you, like you about car, Sterling like, Moss sir okay. Sterling okay. Moss All right, fine. and about his association and how cool Maserati was and how many races they won <laughs> and how they were respected and they, they have okay. racing history I-
0: Maserati's cool. I never expected your, your fire for Porsche to have any part of it with baffles or something <laughs> redirected at Maserati <laughs> of all brands. It's so bizarre. I didn't bizarre. see that coming either, but yeah, that it's is really, really cool. Bizarre.
1: So, Porsche and Maserati, my two brands. Okay, I'm going to stay with Lotus. Yeah. Cars are
0: made to be driven, and we can't imagine a future without getting to drive and driving cars we love. The folks at Haggerty feel the same way, and that's why they support this show. One of the many things Haggerty offers for people who love cars is insurance for the enthusiast vehicle. That can be almost anything from classic cars
1: to trucks and motorcycles, newer collectibles, and even boats. They protect race vehicles off the track, and they can even insure vehicles on the track for high-performance driving events and track days. In fact, we use Haggerty Track Day insurance every time we drive either the Cayman or the Elise or both on our local track, and it adds a huge peace of mind for us. You can learn more about Haggerty and Quote Insurance at haggertycom slash everyday. All righty, jumping into Topic Tuesday, that I have distilled from many questions coming okay, in. Good, and you, good, good. you guys have written to us many great Topic Tuesdays, which still are in the queue. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just trickling them out slowly. <laughs> I love it. But based on many questions, this is distilled into what is the recipe for affordable fun cars In the future, Mm. we know Lamborghinis will exist and Ferraris will make things and Aston Martin will have stuff and McLaren will offer cars and all that kind of stuff. But for us, the affordable fun cars, Mm. as much Mm. as we like the Supras and the 86s and the Golf GTIs and all these fun cars, what is the recipe for fun cars in the future? You can take that wherever you want to go, Mm -hmm. whether it's powertrain, platform, styling, design, engineering, whatever that is. And I thought we could explore this a little bit because I feel like we're kind of on the cusp of that Mm. as car manufacturers are in the midst of rethinking all of their product planning. They're thinking about blurring lines. You thought the lines were blurry. Now you thought, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Is that a, car is that an SUV that wants to be a car what is that thing yes on totally wheels above, yes those lines will get ever blurrier mm-hmm. this is Absolutely, my prediction yes so what does fun mean do we have to start out redefining fun mm. what will fun mm. mean because now fun is also redefined as well just hit it we're drag racing a hellcat with a Tesla sure again sure and yeah, you're yeah, pinning yeah. your kid's phone to the back window <laughs> and what is fun is that fun yeah. now Broke my phone again. Again. Your face broke my phone, honey. Stop (laughs) it. That better not happen again. So we got to redefine fun. We've also got a car debate from Jared in eastern Ohio who is writing about the forever car.
0: I saw this. I'm not not sure if I can align
1: with Jared on this, but I'm very excited to unpack this for sure. He wants the forever car. So let's do that. But we've got to dive into the topic Tuesday. As I said, Mm -hmm. first of all, do we need to redefine fun? Mm. Will fun cars even exist? Will the nameplates continue to exist or will some be resurrected? The nameplates, a good example is the Mustang Mach-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is heresy that they have applied to this thing that you've brought out. Yeah. Is that fun? Will there be more collaborations between manufacturers? Mm -hmm. Are we just going to continue to pump up existing platforms? You know how the base Lancer eventually became the Evo 10? Yes, We just pumped up that car and fed it full of steroids until it was this world-class
0: monster. Yeah, yeah. That's been a pattern forever. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, I also wondered about drivetrain. Electric, hybrid, both. Neither Mm -hmm. is it in an era of inexpensive gasoline. Mm -hmm. What about Mm -hmm. internal combustion engines? Just high-strung Will Dodge continue with their Hellcat whatever and we've got 1500 horsepower with a warranty. Will we will we get wow. there? Yeah, we're on the yeah, you know, on the cusp it feels like. Yeah. I think mostly though it comes down to size and weight okay. because of governmental right. regulations, policies and safety equipment and the tech being piled into the cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will companies remember small light cars? Will they remember that?
0: Will mm-hmm. they
1: look back and think, "You know, that was an era."
0: Nah, never again. You've discussed this before, and I think you're closer to right than most people realize. And that is I think oh. that brands are going to split, and I think they're going to have two sides of their market. Okay. Right now, every car company, BMW has led the charge, but most everybody's doing it. Every car company is trying to offer one of everything.
1: To Every capture possibility
0: the market, of, the, of a person, okay, you want a five-seat SUV, but you don't need quite as much hatch space, so we'll make you a coupe version. But by the way, if you need an actual coupe, we sell that as well. And if you need the car in the middle that looks like the SUV coupe, but it's actually a car we have – stop. Yeah, Every possible variation, most car makers are trying to make all of them. I think that eventually dies, and I'm hoping that we end up with segregation to one side of, of – driving area or the other. And that is, here's our commuter pod section Mm -hmm. and here's Mm -hmm. our driver's car section.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: You brought it up a lot. I think it's, I think it's likely that that's going to happen because I feel like the storied history of so many of these brands you brought up Maserati, but come on BMW, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Jaguar, anybody look at racing history. Yeah. Yeah. That is the thing that so many of these brands Ford, for God's sakes trades on its racing history. While they sell F-150s. This is true. So that is the history of cars. I don't think that really ever goes away. So you've got to sell something that plays to that. And I think the Miata is an interesting modern reality because what is the Miata but the modern execution of an old idea? Now the Miata itself has been around a long time by this point, but it is the most successful modern rethinking of a very old, like the origin of cars idea. What is a car? It's this little, you're sure. exposed to the weather, two seat thing that rattles down the road. That's the original car. The Miata is the evolutionary progress of that, if you will. Which brings me to this point. Okay, I had this thought while thinking about this. Look at the CUV. Tell me, project from the CUV. Isn't this origin of the species of the autonomous pod? Go up 50 years. What a CUV is is what becomes the autonomous pod. They all kind of look the same. They all kind of are the same. They all have high ride height. They're worried about technology mm. and how you sit. And Driving isn't the point of a CUV.
1: Not if I, really, If no. I
0: progress that 20, 30, 50 years, that's the lineup that I could see traced back on a graph somewhere. Hmm. In the future of the autonomous pod you bought right now from Chevy or BMW or wherever. It's its origin was these bland five seat CUVs. We're already selling that. Okay. But then we're also okay. selling at the moment some sports cars. I think it's going to divide further to where it's just one of those or the other. But I have to say this, and then I'm handing it over to you for a bit. Gasoline isn't going away.
1: No. The, the, definitely the discussion
0: not. keeps happening about, well, guys, you know, what happens when these are all electric? Uh, that's a lot. I'm not sure all electric is in my
1: lifetime. You mean every manufacturer making all we just, make is electric. All, all that's the, all I, uh, if yeah, you want a combustion
0: car, you buy, you buy an old classic car because all we make now is electric. That's it. I agree. Really?
1: Yeah. Well, I've been thinking about this, too. I've been thinking about the future and we keep thinking, what are fun cars going to look like for all of us enthusiasts? How will we afford them? We'll aspire to them, certainly. But what will this platform be? Because as you said, CVs are you know what everybody's buying. And just like the cars from the 50s, the 40s that were really tall, heavy body size, mm. those were still cars. Those are the size of normal CVs now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. I think there's going to be more collaborations. I think car companies mm. are going to be able to complete and satisfy throughout their model lineup the electric, the thing, whatever people are buying, the bread and butter. And then they're going to re- look back and remember, oh, yeah, we used to build sports cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The problem is I don't think there will be particular bespoke only platforms just for that fun sports car. Okay. Half of me wants to make you the argument that out of your giant SUV, you carve half the powertrain out of that thing <laughs> and half the batteries sure, okay. and shove it into a small car. Yeah, yeah, But that platform is shared with something else anyway. It's mm-hmm. not the bespoke platform. Three other manufacturers probably, yeah. The other half of me thinks manufacturers will use the small sports car as the test bed for mm. growing that technology mm. and saying, all right, if we can do it on a small scale now – then we could grow that into powering a large heavy truck or suv mm-hmm. to fill, you know, nine seats and 82 cup holders and all that yes. stuff. Would, yeah. I'm mixed on that. But what I do think will happen is that we'll see more small models with high-strung turbocharged engines. And the Toyota GR Yaris and the GR Corolla that doesn't exist mm-hmm. are examples. Both of these are modded platforms, yes, yes, they exist as economy cars right now, mm-hmm. just like I mentioned, the Lancer versus the Evo true, 10. True, true. And so, I think we're going to see more of these kinds of cars to get sporty fun into our lives and mm-hmm. into a product lineup. Mm-hmm. To get a pure sports car, I think collaborations are going to happen more and more. I think that's going to be key. It's going to be th- the cost sharing and the fact
0: that the- these sports cars are so niche that they never sell big numbers. Mm-hmm. We need one. You need one. We think we could both sell one. Let's work together. We'll make variations. Yeah.
1: Well, like, I'm, I'm going to call all the SUVs the the blurry cars, the blurry I models. I think that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to be distinguish cars from SUVs very soon. And, mm-hmm. and Volkswagen is taking us rapidly in that direction. Do you realize this? Yes. With the ID cross Z yeah. Z's mm-hmm. on the end, yeah. two Z's. Oh yeah, I don't even know what that thing is. Yeah, it serves some sort of marketing purpose, and it filled a design brief, mm-hmm. and the marketing mm-hmm. people checked off and went, "Yay, let's build that." Well, yeah, totally agree. That it's it's the it's absolutely the blurry. blurry. End of cars, it's just completely. Yeah. blurring everything, and so the blurry models will continue. But the car companies are going to get fed up just offering the blurry models. They're going to want to give the public something very specific. And again, I'm not talking Let's about so. Audi R8s and the high-end stuff. That stuff is going to exist. Yeah, fair. But something affordable, low-priced, mm. still fun. Mm. What What is that? Where do we fit that into the product line? Okay, yeah. <clears throat> so the models that I think will survive, the models, Mustangs, Corvettes, Miatas, Supras, mm, mm-hmm. 911s and Cayman and Boxsters, Z cars, M performance cars from BMW, GTIs. I also think Honda is going to surprise us with something cool. I'm predicting it now. Yeah, I think they're going to yeah. come out with something cool and we're going to love Honda all over Some again. Some little sports car again. They're going to come back yes. with it. It'd be
0: cool. It'd be very fun.
1: Yeah. Of the German companies, BMW, I believe is still better suited to build a small fun car than Mercedes or Audi. Mm. Even though from Mercedes, we do have the A-Class and the CLA. Those Mm -hmm. could be viable, but those are not dedicated sports cars. Mm. I think BMW has that ability. Future models that will be introduced, I think Porsche is very well established to introduce an even smaller, lighter, more brand entry-level sports car. Yeah,
0: they could come back with another 550 or something. They
1: could, but they might not do it under the Porsche brand. Mm, Boxsters and Caymans have gotten... Almost too powerful. Yeah. They're great, but they're yeah. almost too powerful. They're Realize eclipsing that?
0: the 911 of like two generations ago. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So
1: Porsche might do this through a collaboration. We've been hearing mm-hmm. rumors of the Toyota MR2 being sponsored, collaboration, something with Porsche. Toyota is all about collaborations for sports cars right now. But yeah. that's okay. Yeah, it is. It's right. This cool. is yeah. how we get our sports cars back yeah. is through these collaborations, that expertise. So I think Porsche is set up to do that. I'd love to see a 550, a lower priced, even cool. though... It, won't be lower priced. It'll but, start at 39 you know I mean? grand and the way you want, it'll be 70. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I'm thinking about all this and I think the collaborations are key and we yeah. have to be open to them, but to get a, a dedicated let's shove electrics and whatever into that mm. full sports car platform the return on investment isn't there for car companies. That's the big
0: problem. And we as enthusiasts, it's that what-if piece we did for YouTube not that long ago. We as enthusiasts need to buy sports cars new when they come out. Definitely. That is the only way that car companies are going to keep making sports cars. There's another interesting twist going on here, though, and it's something I've seen with film companies and it's also everywhere else. It's IP, intellectual property. Okay. If you are a company and you own a brand – At some point, you reach a place where we have to really, really squeeze that brand like a turnip. Okay? Okay. I'll give you a filmmaking example. You're talking about movie
1: titles or or Or, sequels. Yes,
0: I'm talking about why on earth do we have another Spider Man? Why has Charlie's Angels keep getting remade? Mm -hmm. Because you own that intellectual property.
1: Did you tell me A Star is Born has been done like four times now?
0: Uh, Yeah, it has been done about four times. And it's the same basic story done by another bespoke filmmaker who wants right. to do the whole thing. And like, do, no, I can do it better. Do, and they do all no, new no, no, music. No, no, no. They, do, they get all new stars. Sheesh. I mean, It's a thing. But I'll give you a weird example. Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay? In the 90s, Disney looked at all of their properties, okay. all of their theme parks, and realized that Pirates was one of the most beloved rides in the history of the park. It's one of the few that has survived really? since the beginning of the park. But here's what's interesting. One of the only ones in the park with no actual movie title, no merchandising. It was just a ride at Disneyland. This was prior to the movies coming out. Prior to the movies coming out, I guess I didn't realize why the movies came out when they did. So they hired Jerry Bruckheimer and a bunch of writers, and they said, We need to create a movie franchise property that backs up this intellectual property we own, which is why the Pirates movies were made. The fact that they made five or 12 or how many of them and they were successful as they were is kind of a coup they wanted a movie or two out of it to shore up the fact that's why it takes up space on the lot if we can't make a movie property that works we're going to get rid of that ride so let's see if we can make some synergy here if you go to the disneyland or disney world now and you ride pirates of the caribbean what happens the johnny depp character has been included into the ride
1: i always had it in my mind on the same level of the Indiana Jones rides. Well, there was a movie and we've got a ride and they're synonymous.
0: I guess it's happening again because they have jungle cruise about to come out. Okay. Jungle cruise is another one of these classic Disney rides. They own the intellectual property for it. Nobody can take that from them, but there's no property beyond the ride. So here comes in the exact, and they are using exactly the pirates model. Okay. Big stars make a movie to make the jungle cruise ride relevant And we can tie them back into each other. My point here is, this is car makers. This is the Mustang Mach-E. We're going to start to see more Mach-E happening. Where somebody at a car company takes a storied name that they own outright, that nobody can touch. We own the intellectual property. And they're going to make a, they made that with it, really? And they put that name on it because they own it and they can market it. Let's hope this doesn't kill sports car names. But a lot of those sports car names are going to show up on non-sports cars. Because they own the intellectual property,
1: the Mach E is the first iteration, the first manifestation, it's the first big of place this. you're seeing that it's going to happen
0: again. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be, have the opportunity to go in 20 years. What do we do with the Super name? What do we do with the Celica name? Mm-hmm. I just happen to mm-hmm. pick Toyota names, but you see, I'm saying, sure. What do we do with the Eldorado if you're Cadillac?
1: Never. We leave that buried and dead in the graveyard.
0: But, well, but but there's some Hopefully. cool names in Cadillacs history. Okay, so my my point is, what do we do with the the Deville? Okay, I was going to say. You you see my point here. Sure. There's there's storied names and and it's getting harder and harder to have the property that you can own the name and the website and everything. This is why weird names keep getting caught up that don't have any vowels in them because, oh, we can get that website because that's a name that's somebody's had that website for 20 years, but not without vowels. They haven't. We spelled it wrong, though. Exactly. So. All you're going to see, this is the Mustang mach is the first iteration of this. You're going to see all of this intellectual property being squeezed because we own
1: it. Now, what are we making with it? All right. Well, I see the future for sports cars belonging to Toyota and Honda okay. and Mazda, possibly Nissan, and weirdly, Mitsubishi. Mm, okay. Nissan and Renault, the partnership, owns Mitsubishi outright. Yes. Okay. Let's stop. Messing around with the alternative fuels and the <laughs> weird stuff that Mitsubishi's trying to do. Let's stop okay. all that.
0: Darren also ran in that
1: area. It'd be nice for them to lead somewhere. Mitsubishi has enough fun sports cars in their history. That could be just the fun car mm. brand. Okay. You don't right. even have to make a bunch of them, it could be one or two fun cars, sports cars in that model range, and those are the Mitsubishis. And we leave them over there, and those are the cool Mitsubishis. Whereas Nissan is making the rogues and all the whatevers over here. Okay? Whatever happens to the Renault Nissan partnership is whatever happens. But because they own that brand, let's put all that forward tech into Nissan and leave the fun cars, the sports cars, Mm. under that Mitsubishi brand. All right. So that's a weird thing. I think Alpha has that ability too because of the fun small cars in their past. Skoda, Seat, and Peugeot are also well positioned, in my opinion. But the U.S., of course, will not get those cars. True. And GM, to your point, has some potential nameplates they could resurrect, but they just won't. The Fiero, the Solstice, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. They're not going to resurrect those.
0: Mm, probably not, unfortunately.
1: Large cars, I think, will only proliferate, or we'll just have a bunch of medium-sized eggs that are the do-it-all cars. I'm telling you, I think the CUV becomes the pod. I think that's where it's headed. I do think, though, car manufacturers ultimately will look over their shoulder and think, oh, yeah, we should do another fun sports car for the I masses. Hope so. I hope so. It's going to be intermittent. It's not going to be all at once. When some new car comes out, the other competing manufacturer isn't going to rush to get their competing sports car to market like the 370 or the next Z car should have with the Supra. It's not going to work that way. It's just going to be random fun cars that come out mm. as either technology test beds or just, hey, something fun, something tunable. Hey, it's still gas powered. Mm. Hey, it's still got a manual transmission. And that's why I think the manufacturers that I named are in a leadership position. Interesting. Whereas as far as tech, I mean, think of Mercedes. They they could, but the bread and butter is in the big SUVs and the big stuff, and oh, the yeah. big heavy, For fast sure it is. stuff. Yeah. The big S-class and the tech platform mm-hmm. that that thing will be yeah. awesome. I love it, but that's not the fun, affordable sports cars that mm-hmm. we love. Porsche is so right on the in the mix there, but Mazda is well positioned. Anyway, you, you heard my rant we've on got those positions. We've got to buy them, companies. though, when they come
0: out. That's the big we thing. Do. We I, do. I do. And as much as we preach and use and buy used cars. As much as we are those guys, because I'm a huge fan of what you can get, yeah. somebody's got to buy them new, not only so that they're used for the rest of us, but also just to encourage manufacturers, there is an audience here that is a paying audience. It's really easy to sit at the keyboard and be like, I want sports cars, and then we don't buy them because we don't have the money, but we really want sports cars.
1: That doesn't pay the bills. Yes, or just because it's a collaboration, I'm turning my nose up at, oh, it's not pure. Yeah. You didn't put the money in. Well, yeah. here it is. Here it is, yeah. Ford is STizing mm-hmm. almost every SUV they build. I don't know what else that to call it. That it better. Yeah, applying performance parts and upgrading horsepower to large vehicles does not automatically make it a fun car. No. But that's what people want. That April Fool's recently, mm-hmm. Hyundai teased, among others, the Palisade as in the large SUV that has 500 million horsepower and is lowered and goes really fast and it looks great. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're looking for. I
0: want to drive the Palisade in on the Nürburgring just for the laugh. That's the
1: low-hanging fruit for car companies. Every it's not year,
0: the effort. Every year when we take our pilgrimage trip, we have a van that is the general transport for everybody. We have another car as well, but we take a van. There's general transport for everybody. And every year... We get about seventy-five percent of the way to deciding to take the van on the ring, and one oh, year yes. we're going to do it. Everybody oh, yes. on the trip, we're going to all strap in and brace ourselves oh, because that's if be you, go, heavy. During, oh. you go during you oh. go during Tristan farton, you don't have to wear helmets, which is even more insane. You just we'll just pay for a lap and we'll do the ring in the pilgrimage van, and we'll get. l will have to be video. We'll have to get a laugh. But every year we we always talk about it. And then the adults in the room, of which we try to be adults, go, let's not do that. But we get so close every year because it would be funny.
1: Look, Toyota, if you're listening, GR everything. I said it in the Camry video recently. GR the Camry, GR the Corolla, Mm. everything you build, I'm fine with it. Just bring us collaborations. Bring us these fun. The hatches, bring us the fun hatches. I'm fine with that. I'm just worried about. But the bespoke That's going to, it's not going to go away entirely. It's just going to be once in a while. It's going to be rare for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So buy them. We've got to buy them, right? Completely. We're longtime users and
0: big believers in Griot's Garage car care products. That's because while many other brands are just rebranded versions of the same few products, Griot's Garage has developed, manufactured, and bottled bespoke car care products since 1990.
1: In fact, many of their first customers were collector cars displayed at Pebble Beach. Griot's is a family company based in Washington State, still dedicated to having the best products for every car in every budget. As a matter of fact, I learned my certified Paul-Own car care style from Griot's.
0: We've both used Griot's Garage car care products on our own cars for over 20 years, and we wouldn't use anything else. If you're wondering how to get going, they offer free training and techniques through their videos and website, and starter kits to help your car look its best.
1: Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made in the USA. They offer a 100% lifetime guarantee, so give them a try. When
0: you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code every day for 10% off your order. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Jared's writing to us from eastern Ohio. He's looking for the forever car. Now, I I have so many thoughts here, Jared, right away, because I want to put this in perspective. Uh, Jared is a young guy. Yes. When we hear about forever cars a lot of times, and I I hate to put it in this perspective, but it's retired guys. And they're buying the car they're going to have that they're going to drive every now and then. Jared's 25 years old. Yes, yes. And he's kind of saying, I want to buy a car, he says, two-thirds of a C8 monetary unit, so roughly 45 grand. I love that you did that, Jared. It's awesome. He says, I kind of want to buy a car for 45 grand that is an awesome car that I will have for the rest of my life. And I have
1: trouble not just having my brain just check out right at that point. It's an interesting challenge. Uh-huh. This is a tall order. All right. Well, Jared is married. He graduated law school last spring. And like many car nuts, he says, he's worked hard to get into a position to buy something he really wants. Now, he's owned two vehicles. So far, mm-hmm. a 2000 4x4 S10. Okay. He would leave in a rear-wheel drive, of course, and do donuts during the winter. Like you do. I yeah. don't understand why you wouldn't. And a 2004 GX470 that has 190,000 miles, and he plans to drive to the moon or roughly 235,000 miles. I love that. I love that. He's driven his friend's 85 IROC with a manual racing clutch and a 383 stroker. He says, this is what I learned to drive manual in. Yeah, that had to be fun with the racing clutch. Oh, my gosh, yeah. He's also driven a 93 Corvette with a six-speed. Okay. And he says, I'm telling you this to show that he's had experience with rear-wheel drive and with manual, not a lot, but some. And he says, I've got a cautionary nature and plans to respect whatever machine that he buys and grow with it. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't want the entry-level scooter. He wants the big, fat Harley or the 1100 or the 1300, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Talking – yeah. I'm with terms. He's out in eastern Ohio and he says the roads can be bumpy, but since this is the foothills of the Appalachians, there are a plethora of twisty and fun scenic roads. Like it. Particularly in Wayne National Forest and Hawking Hill State Park. Cool. He's also fifteen minutes away from a drag strip that occasionally does autocross, and he'd like to participate in both maybe a couple times a year. So this could be the permanent purchase. Wow! Yeah, per- I agree. Permanent. That's yeah. a yeah. Mm. This is going on your permanent record. Seriously,
0: seriously, this is this is hard, Jared. Because I, you're 25. I
1: you mean, ha- he's you saying have a chance,
0: you have a chance of being a quarter of the way through your life. Think about that. Three quarters of your life is left. You want to buy a car now that is still around when you were
1: gone. Well, he says he likes the idea of having one sports car he can make memories with or, you know, something his kids might one day drive to their prom and even their wedding. I I do understand that desire and I Mm -hmm. love that. And he says not that he won't own other cars down the road as well. It will just be this one is the centerpiece. This is the foundation stone.
0: Okay. All right. This reminds me, you remember when we did American Original, our Corvette film? Mm-hmm. One of the most beautiful cars in that film, one of the, the first-gen uh, cars in that film, is owned by a great guy who is a restoration master. His car was spotless. Oh, yes, yes. He has three or four kids. I forget. Three or four kids. Uh, f- boys and girls. Four. Okay? Four, right? He is restoring a Corvette for each of his kids as a gift to them. Now, the car guy in me cackles and is amazed and is wowed. And then I stop for a second, and I realize all the ways my son is like me and all the ways he's not like me. And I think, what if one of your kids doesn't want a Corvette?
1: I guess they'll sell it. What,
0: I, I guess. But but I just – I so I'm wondering, Jared, I, this is a lot of – this is my concern. This is a lot of pressure to put on this car. Mm-hmm. And it is you're 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 building precious memories on something you haven't even bought yet. True. I'm worried about the True. preciousness this creates with this car, whatever it is. I've got ideas for you and I want to talk this through, but you're putting
1: a lot of pressure on this car. Jared says this would be a weekend car, drive to work on nice days car, road trips, the occasional ice cream run or school run with kids. And he doesn't have kids yet, keep that in mind. Not all these wishes wishes are required, but it would be nice if the car were versatile in Mm -hmm. a little bit. Okay. All right. He wants something naturally aspirated, maybe supercharged. He says turbos are nice, but the power delivery without turbos appears to have a specialness about it. I agree with that for sure. That's the impression he gets. He wants the car to be rear-wheel drive, have a manual transmission, and... And he's had a love for Shelby's ever since he first saw the GT 500 in a magazine article over a decade ago. And since that impressionable moment, he's subsequently grown to appreciate in greater detail the history and pedigree of Shelby America. Okay. All right. So he's gravitating towards a GT350. He says that engine seems fantastic. They is very cool. His wife has a particular fondness for that car. He loves the 2012 to 2014 GT500 and the 2012 13 Boss 302 Base or Laguna Seca Edition. Yeah. He says the live rear axle on bumpy roads might hinder the enjoyment a little bit. He's not sure. He thinks he, sh- you know, should he be concerned about this? And he gives us a list here of other considerations. Mm-hmm. I have to stop on the Mustangs real quick. Because we
0: really like the GT350. We like it a lot. We like the GT350 standard. We like the R. That engine is special, really very special. It is. It is. That is a very cool car with an amazing personality. Of the Mustangs you've brought up, that's my favorite. And mm-hmm. I still don't think it's special enough mm. for what this is needing to be. But but more importantly, the 2014 GT500 it's a moment in time car, but I think even Carroll Shelby, that was right around the time he died, even Carroll Shelby probably didn't like that car as much as he'd want to. They yeah. wanted, they said it was a 200-mile-an-hour car. It was not known to handle well. It had a big old engine in it. They dropped in value big time, yeah. which I think is an indicator. Now, the Boss 302 is we, – we did a GT350 versus Boss 302 video, both very impressive, but – Again, you've already brought it up. You're wondering about that live rear axle. I think the GT350 is the best choice there of those Mustangs. That's still a lot of pressure for that
1: car. Go on. This list includes a 997 911, mm-hmm. a zero six four twenty seven 427 convertible, or Grand Sport. So all C606. All right, I see it. Yeah, c 6 c- c- He's got the Hellcat on the list, but he mm-hmm. says his wife dislikes it.
0: And he acknowledges this is not a car for handling it. You're not going to be auto-crossing your Hellcat. You're going to be laughing. You will laugh oh. about auto-crossing your Hellcat when you're not drag stripping it.
1: But you're not going to really enjoy yourself. I don't think he's going for value either, as mm-hmm. in this car will rise in value and therefore no, I no, want no, to no, get no. the money out of it later. No, no, no. It's I don't specialist. get that idea. much more specialist, yeah. He's got a Z51C7 on here, but… Also concerned about that car being special. He says, "Is you know, should I do something vintage like a 65 GT 350 clone or a 383 mm-hmm. Roadrunner or the early vets? He's got a Viper on the list of some vintage, but he says the lack of ABS brakes and traction control is a concern. <laughs> that is not a friendly car. As, as is, yeah. It's not friendly. Like, hey,
0: kids, let's hop in the Viper. You, you got to dedicate yourself. You got to know how to drive that you car. You got to dedicate yourself
1: just to open the door. Well, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Maybe a CTS-V Coupe and then finally a Z28 Camaro. But he says this might be a hard sell because he's Mustang guy. Okay. All right. He's given this a lot of thought. And by that list, with the exception of the Porsche, you can see they're all American muscle. I did see that. Yeah. Jared, I think your tastes are going to change. And I think I agree. All the cars on your list are too new enough to modern cars, even though I want you to have something Mm -hmm. modernish because you want this to run and be fairly reliable and you want to drive it a little bit. You don't want to just park it and, you know. On your 65th birthday, you're like, oh, yeah, I get to open the time capsule. And, the, you know, it's <laughs> dust. You're going to want to drive it throughout the years. Hopefully, and take care yes. Of so yes, it needs yes, to yes. run and be reliable mm-hmm. a little bit. But like I said, your tastes are going to change. And you're going to want to try out other cars. And I know you're going to own other cars. Mm-hmm. But when we hear Forever Car, the story is of a person with a large collection. And they had a Porsche in high school. Yeah. And And it went away. It was on. He had that
0: car. He had the car from
1: high school. Yeah. He either restored it or like Richard Griot, the car went away. Yep. He sold it. And then, you know, lo and behold, he tracked it down and was able to find it and restore it. And so it's back in the collection. Yeah. Yeah, Or in the case of one of our friends, Ty, Mm -hmm. whose wife had -hmm. the Mustang Mm -hmm. she restored with her dad as a teenager. Yes. So that car will never go away Mm -hmm. because of Mm -hmm. the fond memories. Totally. Totally. And it's a 50-year-old car, at least. Yeah. More than that now. Than but, that, yeah. you know, they restored it together, and it runs, and they take it out occasionally. Mm-hmm. But that's her car. It's yep. her Mustang, yep. and it's a special thing with her dad, which I love. Those are the kinds of organic stories, rather mm-hmm. than, I need this car to have all this gravitas yes. attached yes. to it. agreed. So I do like your classic car idea, and I, I just don't think today's special performance cars are going to be as special as you think years from now. I agree with you. Maybe the GT500, the current brand, brand, brand new one. Maybe. 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 And yeah. because he has a love for them. Mm-hmm. Now, I have not yet driven the C8 Corvette, but it's not designed to be nostalgic. It's designed to show the future of what the Corvette can do. Mm-hmm. Something that's just analog is what you want. Yes, for sure. We recommend, and I'm speaking for you, but we can hardly recommend not buying anything to start with and just go on and driving and getting some experience I agree with before that. you get this car and this is the car mm-hmm. I'm having the party it's like a homecoming or a you know hey we just moved in housewarming <laughs> yeah. this is the car party <laughs> don't breathe on
0: the car yeah well see that's my bigger concern is that this car because of I love your word gravitas because of how much importance you want this car to have I'm worried about it not being a car you do enough life in mm-hmm. it's going to be so precious because it, it's supposed to do all these things yeah You end up with the extreme version is the Ferris Bueller syndrome. Uh, Yeah. Okay. You've got the the Ferrari and he rubs it with a diaper. You've got that scenario. That's the extreme version of this. Yeah. And I don't think you're there, but I I agree with you. The big concern I have with the GT350 and the C6 and the C7 Corvette, I like all three of those cars. I genuinely really like them. I would own them. I would drive them. They are very fun. In 20 years, I don't think any of those three cars are that interesting anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think they're timeless. That's my concern. And the GT350, I think, gets closest because of that engine. But I don't think they're timeless cars. So all of my recommendations are thinking about cars that are moment in time, that are timeless, that no matter how old you get, Jared, that car's interesting. Yeah. They're cars yeah. that, in most cases, we've left them behind. But we already are looking back fondly. So no matter how long you have that car, and I'm not talking about value. We aren't having a value discussion. I'm talking about the fact that that car is just interesting. You you have one of those. They're interesting to drive, and they're fascinating. And I will tell you, one of the newest cars on my list is actually the Lotus Elise. Really? Because what's after that? There isn't one? Nothing. No, it's just it is. Yeah. So you could buy a Lotus Elise, which is not a muscle car. It's way, very different a lot of the stuff you're talking about. You could buy a Lotus Elise, though, and that car is because it is, like I talked about before, a cul-de-sac. It will be a little bit special forever mm-hmm. because there isn't a next. I've got others on the list, but that's one of the most modern cars I've got on my list because I'm trying to think about that car that if you had it for the next 50 years, it remains like,
1: oh, yeah, those are cool. Mm-hmm. Jared, I don't think this is about power either. I I think it has nothing to do with power. As a matter of fact, it's like the person who has the car collection and they bring out their 1950 Nash and they're all proud of their Nash. Okay. Here's the 1950 Nash. Hey, have you seen my Nash? And you're like, yeah, great. It was just kind of the bubbly thing of the time in 1950. And it's not all that special. I hate to say this and I'm going to hate mail, but I think there's too many Mustangs and Camaros and Corvettes that will proliferate Mm. That they won't be special enough. They'll be attainable and they'll be sure. fun oh, and they'll yeah, be yeah, worth sure. driving, and yeah, owning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But as far as the the weight you're putting on this car, mm-hmm. those won't qualify. Mm. Some of the special editions might, like I said, a GT, you know, GT500 or a yeah. ZR1 Corvette or something yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very special. But you want to have fun and drive it, and again, Agreed. it's not about power. Agreed. It's funny, Todd, that you said "moment in time" that came out of your mouth, mm-hmm. because there is a moment in time era that we have talked about in the past. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 2011 to 2012, with a few exceptions. Mm -hmm. Think about this. The Boxster Spider, Mm -hmm. 2011. Mm -hmm. The Cayman R from 2012. The 911 GT3 RS 4.0. Oof. The 2011 BMW 1M. Yep. The 2011 BMW E30, or sorry, E90 or E92 M3. Sure, 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 yeah, yeah. The 2012 Boss 302, which you mentioned. Yeah, he did. That's rough enough yeah. and weird enough and angry it's, enough it's unique, to be different. It is a good car, for sure. Absolutely. 2011 Lotus Evora. Mm-hmm. How about one of the last Honda S2000s from like 08, It's not right in the moment in time era, but it's almost there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about that car? How about a 2011 Aston Martin V12 Vantage Coupe?
0: If you could get one. It's interesting you bring that up because I brought up the fa- the Aston Martin V8 Vantage with a manual. The V8 Vantage VA. is more affordable. The V12s are still not 45000 Because right the now. thing about it is he could get one right now. And I think, honestly, I think the V8 Vantage with a manual mm-hmm. is primed to be one of those cars that is going to age like the classics. Oh, yeah. the People are just going to look at it and be like... Those were really cool cars. Totally. It's not it wasn't totally. the most of anything. It wasn't the biggest in the Aston Martin lineup. It's not the fastest. <laughs> the it's not tech the best. It's in those none things. of that. Yeah. But it is such a classic timeless design. It's almost e-type quality timeless design. Yeah. It has a very nice interior. It has a personality. They weren't common in manual. It's got a nice engine. They're somewhat affordable, but I just think that car is completely timeless. Totally. Just v- I love that V
1: twelve is a that They're not forty five thousand dollars, but, but the V twelve with a manual. Wow! I mean, come on. There's also the twenty eleven Audi R eight manual, which was at the tail end of the first run of the Audi R eights. Sure. sure, yeah. With the side blade, with the the classic R eight styling. That's that's out of price, though. It is. They're great, though. There's about half these cars on this moment in time are out of price. But okay. I want All I right. mentioned these because mm-hmm. I wanted you to get a feel for what we're talking sure, about. Sure, here. sure, sure. Now, I also think nineteen sixties Porsche's, nineteen eighties Carreras or a replica three fifty six should be firmly looked at.
0: I have the eighties G fifty transmission nine eleven, so late eighties Carrera for Okay, you too. Thought about that from a fifty year. Those are forty five thousand. Because they're exactly in his budget. Uh-huh. And it is a car that it's classic enough that it's timeless. Uh-huh. Yes. But it's new enough that you get some of the greatness that of the expensive 993s. The problem with the 997 which I love is the fact that that is going to get old enough now that it's now just an old 911. Right. Right. And I really it's one of my favorites. I really really like it. But that man, I feel like that 80s 911 is the sweet spot for price
1: and nostalgia. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And will be it'll just run and be classic forever. The last three cars on my list here, imagine owning a Supra Buy a brand new Supra. Maybe you hmm. get one in a year or two that's hmm. slightly used. Okay. And years from now, people are like, oh, you had the Supra? Yeah? Okay. All right. The next one is a manual Ferrari 360 Modena.
0: Oh, I don't know if they can pull it off, but that'd be cool.
1: You can't pull them off, unfortunately. They're seventy they're two $72,000, though. <laughs> Just outside your budget. But here's one that is. Okay. All right. And you know how we joke about Miata? Is the answer for everything? Miata is always the answer. Yes. How about a new MX5 RF with the upgraded engine? Keep that car forever. It will always look good. You it, can drive it all that, the time. Yes. It will stay in storage and happily start up at the touch of a button. That's good. That is a good one, actually. The that RF. You can
0: tell already that that design is head-turning enough yes. that it's going to be somewhat time. That's a good one. From here on out, yeah. it's
1: not power. You can drag race it. You can autocross it. I mean, you won't win any drag races, but you can autocross it. Yep. And it'll do fine. Yeah. But imagine that car forever. Mm. You pull one of those out of the barn. I do like that. An RF. Well, that's unique and yeah. different and special, and it's not a Camaro Mustang Corvette. Yeah, that, that you know what? I hadn't gone there. I do like that a lot more than I thought I would. Imagine that years from yeah. now. Imagine that 40 or 50 years from now.
0: Yeah, I see it. I see Sexy. It. And you're right. It would start and it would run and you could use it and not have to be yes. precious. But yet, it has a potential to be that car that your kids want to take to prom. Yes. thats that You've done very well right. I there. Think, I think you've done better <laughs> than me. I I want to run back through my list real quick. Again, I like the GT350. I just don't think that and the Corvettes are going to be... Timeless enough. Agreed. Now, if you could get like a uh, C3, C2, C3 Corvette that you really liked, C2 would be yeah. awesome. Yeah. you could get one for your budget. It's going to be rough. That car <laughs> would be timeless. Again, I had the Elise. I also had the BMW E30 M3. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. That's the first M3, late 80s M3. That is a fantastic car to drive. Your budget is kind of the bottom of the market and those are going to be beloved forever. They're not fast, but they're going to be beloved forever. Again, I mentioned V8 Vantage with a manual. I think that's that's a classic play. That is classic that's classic and going sexy to play for a long time, but your RF, I I did not see that coming. Isn't that weird? That just might could, win. It could work. That uh, of cars I'm thinking in a showroom right now. You have $45,000 in your pocket. What could you buy in a showroom right now that in 40, 50 years is still cool? I think the RF might be the only thing on that list. Which is weird to think about with that amount of money, because yeah, used you start to get more fascinating. But that is that's a really good one. Brand Bravo. new you, on
1: that, you own it from new. Mm-hmm. You can easily afford one for forty-five. Oh yeah, money left over. Yeah, you never restore it ever. Mm-hmm. You just drive you keep it, it running and yeah. you fix it. Totally, you repair it if it's cracked or whatever. Yep. yep, yep. But you never restore it. It will always be fun. It will develop a patina. I did not see that coming. I see where you are. See Funny enough, I'm in love with that car with the upgraded I engine. Are. I know you are. It's just made a scar on me already. Forty
0: five grand is a lot of Lotus Elise, and that's going to be a $45,000 Lotus Elise probably for the rest of your life, <laughs> so that works too. <laughs>
1: for sure. All right. Well, Jared, thank you so much. Let us know what you end up deciding to do, mm-hmm. and if you listening have your own car debate like Jared's or a Topic Tuesday or Car Conclusions, write to us, everydaydrivertv at gmail.com or on the website. You can find us under the about tab on the contact button right there. And it goes right to the same place. All right. Moving to questions from Peter and slow on Instagram. What are the cool, interesting, weird cars in your neighborhood right now? Hmm. His next door neighbor has a seventies era baby blue FJ 40 land cruiser. Other notables include a hail damage CTSV Ford probe and his and hers white GTIs. What's the, what's the one
0: in here driven by the grandmother? Is it a, a maroon outback? Oh, yes, the, yes, yes. she's yes. done a very low rent version <laughs> of the
1: <laughs> it's a woody. Bo- it is, but mm. it's a vinyl woody, the vinyl woody on a Subaru Outback in that burgundy wine color. Yes. Yeah.
0: And, and, and here's the mm. thing. As much as I don't like this line of decisions because I don't as much as I don't like that, the the vinyl looks like it was done by a child. Yeah, it's
1: not good. She's a wonderful lady. I, She's a fine, friend. She's wonderful. Fine, yes. And just very nice. And I like her a lot. But yeah, the car. Anyway, I wasn't going to mention <laughs> that. Glad you did. <laughs> I, could, I could do it. I'm do it here. I was going to talk about in my neighborhood, I actually have an astronaut living in my neighborhood. Okay. He is a former astronaut. He okay. retired from NASA in 2004. All right. And he currently flies L-29 Delphine airplanes as his... Consulting business. If you want to do some instrumented testing and you know oh, attach really? a pod to the bottom of an L twenty nine jet, it's a two seat trainer jet. Huh? He'll take on your you know whatever testing you want to do. Fascinating. He, he spent over eleven hundred hours on in space on various missions. Wow. He is a genuine astronaut, and I see him every summer in a bright yellow Triumph TR six. And he comes That's by, and I'm cool. like, "Yes, you should get that out more often." And he That's waves, cool. and I wave, and I haven't really talked to him, but I know I've seen his website, and he's a, he's a full on astronaut. He teaches you know graduate engineering courses in engineering and physics and all this stuff. And this guy's super smart. And He flies pretty much anything with wings. Wow. and an engine, and probably no engines. <laughs> He'll <laughs> Just, fly it too. He'll fly it anyway.
0: It's a toaster, and it's fine. Travels with George J on Instagram. Asked this question: How many cars is too many? <laughs> this is a difficult question, but I'll give you the parameters that I'm aware of. When you can no longer afford or store them, that's your limit. There we go. That, because honestly, that the, the amount of pain is, is relative otherwise. But if you can no longer store or afford them, I think that is the upper limit. I, I'm at the upper limit of both of those things. I keep going, I don't want to park a car outside. And wow, that bill came in. But one of mine happens to be a Phaeton and the other one's a Lotus. So I, I'm not
1: normal couple of related questions. Live, Drive, and Repeat asked, if you're buying online a remote with a used car or with a PPI and the inspector notes rock, chips, or Mm -hmm. minor pain issues that are hard to see, how particular or how much should that factor into the price? What's the acceptable wear for a used car under 50,000 miles? Mm. The first Gaiman that I had was owned by a guy who lived on a rock and gravel strewn dirt road. Yep, yep. It had 25,000 miles on it and it looked Terrible. It was beat down. It had rock chips and the front front fender lip was dented clearly by mm, somebody mm. getting out of the minivan that it parks to in the garage and just whacking the fender. Mm. So it was all the way down to the black primer. And I still wanted the car. Yeah. Yeah. And so I talked him down with, you know, that in mind. But it was kind of like, well, I have it. You want it. <laughs> Here it is. Take Here it is or leave bottom. it. Yeah, exactly. And so I still bought it. But when I sold it, This question from Bradley J. 1983, who asks, when you're selling a car with great mechanicals, which cosmetic items should be fixed and which are relatively inconsequential for most Mm -hmm. buyers? I never had all those rock chips fixed. Mm -hmm. I worked on the paint like crazy. I made it look better. But I never actually put the money into fixing it, even though I desperately wanted to. Sure. Sure. It's hard to see on the videos and we drove it like that and it allowed me to get over the preciousness factor. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to just drive it more. But when I did sell it, I told the next potential owner that you can fix it how you want to get it done. Interesting point. Yeah. And what I told them is I said, I haven't had it fixed. This was the prior owner to me. I took, you know, really good care of the mechanicals. Yeah. 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 I wish the cosmetics were better. You know, it's me. Yeah. I sure. wish it were perfect. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But I said, you now, if you want to get it fixed, can put in the amount of time and effort. You know mm. that it's been mm. fixed, you know, from original. It's, you know, it's not full of Bondo. It's not sure. just, sure, sure. Yeah, you yeah. know, a terrible job. You know that you can have the comfort in mind of having it fixed to your standards. Mm-hmm. And that buyer seemed to like that answer. Interesting. I wanted to get it fixed. I never got around to doing it because it was going to cost me a lot of money because it wasn't in an accident and therefore not covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just going to be straight out of pocket if I wanted to fix that. So it was very expensive. Yeah, yeah. Fender replacement probably and you know repaint probably end up repainting most of the car. And if
0: you've seen that original like, ah, Cayman review, you're going to look at it and go, "How is this car anything but perfect?" Because it looks
1: great. You had from nowhere to look ten feet. Have nowhere to look. Yeah. yeah. But if you saw it, you'd be like, Paul, what are you doing? On the other hand, it freed me up in a weird way. Yeah. But I kept particular care of the mechanicals. Yeah. You so did. the car ran flawlessly mm-hmm. because I know I could always fix it. But then I ended up selling before I got around to fixing it.
0: Bradley, one quick add to that. With every car I've sold, I've done this and I have never regretted it in conversations with people while selling a car. And that is spend the money, even if you have never done it in the entire time of owning your car, spend the money to get it really professionally well detailed.
1: Oh, good. Yes.
0: You may never do that. You may have never spent that money once. The car will come back so much nicer, especially if you don't have to drive it every day after you get it back. This will just... Free up discussions with any potential buyer because they're going to see it at its best at Mm. a level that you probably can't do by yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's just going to help conversations. I actually think a straight up detail is almost the best thing you can do. Let's be honest. This is what dealers do. Right. Okay, The car may be, you know, slowly leaking its way into the pavement, but you're like, this looks really nice. Why? Because they got it well detailed. So I think if the mechanicals are great and it looks great, that is going to be most of it. Yep. Agreed. Roy Kane said that he just started recording, starring in, and editing videos for wine tastings for the vineyard he works at. And how on earth do I look at myself and listen to my own voice for hours, and does it ever get easier? Roy, it does get easier because you start to separate yourself from it. You get to this place of, that's what i got to work with, so I'm just going to work with it. At
1: first, it's sort of like... That's how the public sees me, huh? Exactly. That's what I look like? I look like,
0: like this. Huh. I sound like that. Mm, and that, that is difficult for a while. People still okay? like me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my my wife teaches a fitness class. And of course, none of those classes are going on right now. So she needed to c- record a video to post of the fitness class. Yeah. And so being me, I set up a couple of cameras and we shot it. We got that into edit. And now she hates herself. Of course she does. Because <laughs> she never sees herself on camera. She's like, wait a minute. Wait, is that what I look? I'm like, Yes. It's exactly how you look. You look great. She's like, no, but this and this. <laughs> it's so easy, Roy. And trust me. that it, 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 will. It, there's two things. It can either consume you and you will stop altogether, or you can just go, well, this is what I got to work with. Exactly. That's, that's the place to settle into. Exactly. All
1: right. The Dad Wrench asks a similar question about cosmetics, although it's applied to mechanicals here. He's thinking about getting an E92 M3 and immediately changing the rod bearings. Mm, okay. Would it be better to pay more for a lower mile car or get a cheaper one with higher mileage and pay less? Hmm. I think that's a dig into forums answer primarily as far as when to change the rod bearings, probably at any time, but I'm all for paying less because you never know what else you're going to need to dump mm-hmm. money into that hasn't been done or will need to be because again, it's the maintenance, not the mileage. Yeah.
0: And if you're sure, going to be doing sure. stuff
1: to it, especially changing the broad bearings, pay less for the car. Yeah. 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 Put the money into anyway. it. So you I know, now you've gotten it up to a certain maintained standard by all the stuff you've done to it, Mm -hmm. but you paid less to start. You got it running perfectly because you put that money into it. But again, you paid less. Mm -hmm. So that makes you feel better, even though it's got higher mileage. But, Again, who cares? I've seen BMW M3s with 200,000 miles. Yeah. Who cares?
0: Yeah, yeah. Iciata Yada said on Instagram, do we have any interest in doing rally or rallycross? He's looked at the stuff that we've done for TV, you know, lemons and the cattle, and we've also got a piece coming up on getting your racing license. He said, have, have we ever thought about doing that? We have. We've actually talked to a place about doing it. We'll see if it comes to be. Obviously, lots of things are changing on schedule right now. We would
1: love to do a rally school for TV. It is on our list, so thanks for asking. Dan Patton asks about physical media. He says, I know physical media isn't as popular and all the stories make it online eventually, but is there something about reading a car mm. magazine and flipping mm. through pages that he prefers? Do we keep subscriptions to any physical media, car magazines, whatever that is? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I I have to admit, I am a magazine <clears throat>
0: Freak. Super freak. You are a magazine snob is what you are. Uh, well, you, okay. you want you want the glossy paper to feel almost like cardboard. And I, you have some very nice magazines as a result. I do like the yeah. special edition magazines. You don't magazines. buy the magazines that anybody throws out. You buy the magazines that somebody stores somewhere. Yeah. It's hard
1: for me to throw out magazines, even the cheap ones, because I like reference. And you know where that comes from is actually art school because sure. we we're taught yeah, yeah, to yeah. gather scrap. Good reference for cool to warm Mm. images, photos that would give you Mm. inspiration for your next painting or your next rendering. Mm. And so I would always just keep magazines (laughs) and like, no, 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 that's a great photo. It doesn't matter. That's a Cadillac, whatever. Look at the light. Look at the reflections. Look at how beautiful that could make. And that could be an inspiration for a composition that I would one day paint that I never got around to doing. And so I still have the magazine. I have magazines from 1993. Frightening. <clears throat> Frightening. Maybe. I might admit
0: that. Uh, let's, this is G I G. I don't even know. I can't even get that. It's got a G and then a J and then it goes to gibberish beyond that. Anyway, I'm <laughs> sorry. I've butchered your avatar. But your question is gear and tips for automotive photography. Now, Chance is our resident expert. Obviously, we, we've all shot a lot of things. But you said you've got a Nikon DSLR and a few lenses. Nothing wrong with the camera you have. Use the camera you have. What I would encourage you on is – It's really easy to put a car somewhere and start taking pictures of it. Then you get that picture on your computer at home and you realize all the things you didn't notice. All of my friends are reflected in the back quarter panel. Why do I have the random no parking sign? Mm -hmm. I didn't see that trashed cup on the ground when I took the photo. Look for that stuff because that's the stuff that changes your photography. Find a really nice place To put the car in. yeah. What is the space? What is the light? Try not to shoot any time in the dead middle of the day. Try to shoot at the beginning of the day or end of the day. If You're just trying to go for a nice photo. Get a nice location and dress the location. I mean, look at everything else in the frame but the car and go, do I like that stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Because the car is going to look like the car. Now, also play with height. How high off the ground are you taking the photo? Should you lie on your stomach? Your eye level, yeah. Yeah, Where, where, where should you be? And also then play with lenses. Get really close and use a huge wide-angle lens and see what that does to the car. And then
1: walk across the street and zoom in as far as you can and see how that shot is different. You'll learn so much stuff. Mike Kelly Jr. keeps seeing videos and stories about the Alpine A110 and is really intrigued by it. And as are we. Yeah. Have we been able to drive it? And is there any chance it might come to the USA? We've been trying to wrestle this car to the ground now mm-hmm. for almost a year. Yep, We are going to do it. We will be successful. I have been in touch with the Alpine Press folks mm-hmm. in France, as a matter of fact. Yep. They are actually just north of Normandy Beach as their headquarters. They were there in 1955 is when they were founded. So pretty interesting. They're right out there on... Uh, on the, the coastline, yeah, on the for coast. sure. So yes, we are going to get ourselves into one at some point. We are going to wrestle that car to the ground. We'll see. We're very intrigued by it. Last question for me from Ed Hayes asking our thoughts on whether high or low miles is better for a used electric vehicle. Mm. Well, that mileage was always an indicator of your mechanicals that needed to be serviced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fluids, you know, engine oil, whatever that is, coolants. Well, on an electric vehicle, there's none of that stuff. Mm. So it's still a measurement of the mechanical wear on the things that move, but really it's now a measurement of the charge cycles. Fair point. So that's what yeah, I think you need to point. to really look at more so than the mileage itself as opposed, you know, in relation to mm. the overall wear and tear. Yes, you need to look at those things, brakes and tires and suspension components. But as far as the charge cycles, how was it driven? Interesting. That question. will tell you, hopefully... Eventual battery life yeah, left.
0: Because that's going to be the expensive replacement. One last one for me, and that is Sorel RJ. It relates to where you're talking about. We're talking about what is beating on a car. Is it bad to rev your engine in neutral? Mm. I'm going to say, did you just start it or not? <laughs> if the car's warm. You're okay. What happens a lot, especially at car shows, we go to one every year, Mm -hmm. and when all the exotic cars leave, everybody lines the sides of the street, and they want you to rev your car. You started your car 30 seconds ago. Yeah. Don't rev it when it's cold. It's got to be up to operating temperature. We were at RSR in Germany one year. Oh, and a bunch of people in our group got into cars, started up, started revving the engines, and the mechanics lost their minds. Rightfully so, by the yeah, way. But yeah. But they came out and nicely asked us, do not do that because these cars are about to get beat on on the track. Don't be beating on these engines when they're stone cold. So it depends <laughs> what's going on with the engine right now.
1: No mechanical sympathy. <laughs> Start the car and rev it to the moon. Why not? Guys, thank you so much for your questions. As always, we're looking forward to the pilgrimage trip in 2020. So go ahead and look at the information on that. And please come with us. We'd love to have you. Yeah. And in the meantime, we're looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.